Well, good morning, Four Oaks family. Thanks for joining us online. We're so glad that you could tune in this morning as we begin our, our time of worship. So come on in, find a, a place on your couch, find a place around your computer, your device, get settled, and let's begin now to turn our hearts, to set our hearts upon God, whom we have come to worship. Though scattered, we've come to worship him as gathered as we can be. And so this morning, I don't, I don't know if you've, if you've realized, but it's easy to forget with all the distractions of this week that um, this Sunday is Palm Sunday as we launch into to Holy Week. We celebrate the fact that Christ was on the road to Calvary, that he, he died and that he rose again. And so we celebrate these things together as we unite our hearts around the gospel. So we want to, to worship him as our king, as our savior. This is the king who, who rode into Jerusalem on a, on a humble donkey. This is the same king who will bring us very soon into a city made with, without hands, to the new Jerusalem, to, to be with him forever, to worship at his feet. So this morning as we think about what Christ did for us, he is our king, that he is our savior. May it lead us to worship. May the king who called us be the forefront of our worship this morning. So I want to read for us from Psalm 118. Verse 14 says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected had become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. And let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So let's sing together. See 
I believe in Christ the Son, and I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe. sung confession grow deep within our hearts, sink deep within our souls this morning as we approach God, that the gospel would penetrate our our wandering, distracted, very weary hearts during this very strange season that we would look to the Lord, that though our world has been uh, rocked by uncertainty or loss or disappointment, We don't want to lose sight of God's goodness, and we can so easily do that. God is good. He is caring for his people. He is caring for his children. He has done that in such a significant way on the cross for our sins. And so when we come before him with a repentant, humble heart, it's a way of saying, God, I receive your goodness. Thank you for what you did for me and how you brought me to yourself when I didn't deserve it. And even now you are caring for me and assuring me in your presence. And so wherever you are, I'm praying that you would find hope and rest and satisfaction when your plans and dreams are out the window, when your life is upside down. But we're asking the Lord together, scattered wherever we are around the city, Lord would give us faith, would give us eyes and ears and hearts of faith to look to him and to see his goodness, his, his good saving hand. So let's acknowledge our, our need before him. Let's not withhold that in pride, but just say, Lord, we need you. We come before you. So I want us to sing this song. It's called The Goodness of Jesus. Don't know that it's one we've sang here before, but we're going to learn it together. It's been a, a great comfort to my soul this week, and I'm praying it is to yours as well. It goes like this.
come what may that I rest all my days in the goodness of Jesus Find what this world cannot offer Come and find your joy here complete Taste the living water, never thirst again. Rest here in His wondrous peace. Oh, the goodness, the goodness of Jesus.
Pastor Rob here. So glad that you could join us again this morning online. I wish we could be together, but at the same time we are together. We're worshiping God together. We're 
hearing God's Word preached. And I just pray that you're encouraged in God's Word today. I want to say welcome to you, especially if you're a first-time viewer this morning. We would love to capture your visit. You can click on the link in the comments section, or you can go to the Connect button on the page below. A lot happening this week. I don't know if you realize it, but today is Palm Sunday, and we're looking forward to the week ahead leading up to Easter. We just want to let you know about a couple things taking place this week so that you can connect together and get ready to worship together on Easter. I know Pastor Paul will be doing his morning devotional, focusing on the Easter story. We also have something special planned for our Kalarn families. We're going to have a devotional online that you can download and work through together with your family. I'm actually going to be leading our morning devotionals with our youth, focusing on the life of Christ leading up to his death and also his resurrection. And so I'm very excited about that. But one thing that we can do corporately together is a Good Friday service that we're planning to have at 5 p.m. online. You can tune in to our Four Oaks Killarn Facebook page or go to our live stream page on our website. We're so looking forward to this, that we can be together and just worship God and worship Christ together. Last thing, I just want to remind you that we have a new giving platform, and that's Planning Center. You can go on to our give page at forbescalarn.com. You can read all the instructions there. It's an easier platform to use, and it's a wonderful way to continue to give to the life of our church. We can't wait to see you again, and I pray that you have a blessed day. comes from Genesis 29 31 through 30 24. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son, and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son, and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son, and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children, or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go in to her, so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went in to her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me, and he also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I, 
for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother, Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came, uh, came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come into me for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah. And she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulon. Afterward, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Four Oaks Community Church. I'm Pastor Paul. Thanks to everyone who's joining us online. Now, before we get rolling here, let me just say a couple of things. Um, some of you have asked me, um, texted me, messaged me, Pastor Paul, how is it preaching to, to an empty room? And I, while I admit that it is sometimes kind of like being a part of the upside down, in actuality, um, this is one of the easier parts of what happens here on Sunday morning. You need to know, church family, that there is a, a small t- a team, but a small team of folks who work incredibly hard to make this happen. And I just want to briefly acknowledge them. You've seen Joe, Pastor Joe Haverlock up here along with Pete Butler and Les Stevenson. We've had Kirk and Debbie Tannis. We affectionately call them the Tanai here at the home office, Jackson Alley, and then, of course, Tim Duff. And so this small team of folks does a ton of work. So message them, uh, send them a shout-out. Thank you, um, guys, for all that you're doing, and thanks for being uh, a part of making this happen on a Sunday. So be sure, for Oaks family, to, to be able to thank them, reach out to them. As you heard Pastor Rob mention, in addition to our Good Friday communion service, we are celebrating Easter Sunday next Sunday. So we're going to be out of Genesis preaching from Matthew, focusing on the resurrection. And we actually have some special things planned, virtually speaking, um, some unique opportunities that you're going to, to be able to have to hear from different members of the church family. So stay tuned to that. But you'll be hearing from them just like we heard from the Harlickers this morning um, who read our scripture passage from Genesis. Now, let's be honest. If this is the first time that you have ever heard this passage or read this passage, or maybe you read it a long time ago when your Bible study reading plan and you've forgotten it, you might have think you've stumbled into an episode of Sister Wives or the Jerry Springer show, or for all of you boomers, two words, Phil Donahue, right? See, why we have to ask, why in the world is Moses telling us this sordid tale? And, and let's remember that Moses wrote Genesis 
for the people of Israel as they were leaving and coming out of Egypt and they were wandering around two million strong in the wilderness. And at that point in time, remember, they were already a part of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they began asking questions. Moses, who are we? Where did we come from? How did we get here? The same sorts of questions we ask, for example, when we send off our DNA to Ancestry.com. But what happens sometimes is we get those results back and what? We are shocked. We are dismayed. We found out our our great-grandfather was Hitler or that we were married to our sister. And by the way, that's a true story. Not for now, though. It can be shocking, right, to kind of get a glimpse of our dysfunctional backgrounds. And the Israelites had to be feeling the same way. Because the sheer level of dysfunction we find in this chapter is staggering. And by the way, one of the strongest claims for the historicity of the Bible and in this text, the scripture writers are never ashamed to display the deepest flaws of their most central characters. And the reason that is, and I find this incredibly encouraging, is that the Bible is not primarily about how we are to reform ourselves, change ourselves in order to make ourselves more acceptable to God. The Bible is about how God has changed us, how God has transformed us. And as we see uh, the full display of our dysfunction and sin and brokenness on display, we understand anew our need for forgiveness and for grace. And that's why we're calling this passage this morning, The Gospel According to Genesis. Now, four portraits we're going to look at together here, and, and here they are. I'll mention them, then we'll hit on each of them. We're going to look at the emptiness of Leah, the jealousy of Rachel, the helplessness of Jacob, and then one final portrait, the glorious grace of God. And before we dive in, Four Oaks, take a moment in your homes, before your device, wherever you are, let's pray together. Let's pray that God's word would not return to him void. It would accomplish all of its purposes in our life this morning. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we admit um, these are strange times. We feel we are bound, confined, chained up restricted. But Lord, we know that when it comes to you and your word, the word of God is never bound. It's never chained. It's never restricted. And what we're asking you to do is to unleash that word through the power of your Holy Spirit into our hearts and lives this morning, that we would come to see in the midst of our decrepitness that your grace is all the more marvelous. Through your son, Jesus Christ, it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's jump in. The emptiness of Leah. Now, you're going to recall from last week in Genesis 29 just how head over heels in love Jacob was for Rachel. Remember, he, he decided he was going to work as kind of an indentured servant to his uncle Laban for 14 years in order to secure Rachel's hand. Remember, it said that he was so in love with her that it seemed like only a few days for him. So look, look, keep that kind of picture in mind, his intense, passionate, head-over-heels kind of love for Rachel. But yet, just as much as Jacob loved Rachel, let's remember, and we see this here in the text, that Leah was just as much in love with Jacob, desperately so. And let me just point out, 
a few of the ways we see that here in this passage. We see it, first of all, just one more reference back to last week in Genesis 29. Remember the switcheroo, right? um, Jacob thinks he's marrying Rachel. He wakes up in the morning. Behold, it's Leah. Think about this from Leah's perspective for a minute. How desperate and empty did Leah have to be to spend the whole night pretending to be her sister, to have Jacob whisper Rachel's name in her ear. You see, she wanted Jacob so desperately that she was willing to perpetrate the supreme deception. She was willing to defraud her own sister. Now, we also see that same level of emptiness and desperateness in the text here. Think, look for a second about how she named her sons, beginning in verse 31. See, all of their names have a derivative that point to the emptiness she felt in her marriage. So, so she named her firstborn Reuben, the Lord looks, in parentheses, and maybe now my husband will look upon me. Simeon, the Lord has heard me. Maybe now my husband will no longer hate me. Maybe he will hear me as well. Levi, the Lord has attached himself to me. Maybe Jacob finally will attach himself to me. See, we also see her emptiness in this curious case of the mandrakes. And that may seem, um, it's a little foreign to us. The mandrake is a Mediterranean fruit. And in the ancient world, it was believed to have great powers of fertility. It was an aphrodisiac, supposedly. And here we have a young Reuben, as a young boy, is out gathering them for his mom, Leah. And this idea is that she is, Leah, even after four kids, she is still desperate to have even more kids. Maybe, just maybe, Jacob then will finally love me. And when it says that she had stopped bearing, and again, that's, that's, there, that's in the text here. We, we, we have this, and again, that's in verse 9. We probably think it's not so much that she couldn't biologically bear. It was probably she had stopped being intimate with Jacob. And the idea was that this fruit would somehow, she could feed it to her husband. It would work some sort of magic. But, but here, when Rachel comes to her and wanting to, to get these mandrakes, she saw an opening. She saw an opening where she was going to trade these prized fruits for permission to sleep with her own husband. You see, you don't have to look too far beneath the surface to see her desperate emptiness. Now, let's be honest. We all have Jacobs in our life, right? The things that disproportionately animate us, the things that drive us, the things that compel us, the things in our life we feel like if I could only just have that, everything would be okay. If I could only get my hands around this particular thing, whether it's a relationship or a possession or an accomplishment or an achievement, then we know how Leah's feeling, don't we? Bookmark that, and we'll circle back around. Let's look at the second portrait, though, the jealousy of Rachel. Now, recall at the end of last week's passage from Genesis 29, verse 30, where it says that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. And here we have some, an ancient version of, 
of the, of the Schuyler sisters, Angelica and Eliza, and don't forget Peggy, of course, of Hamilton fame, all vying over this one man, Alexander Hamilton's love. And that's precisely what we have in this text. Now remember, it was Rachel who had Jacob's heart. But apparently, as we see in verse 30, that wasn't enough. It says she envied her sister. Calvin says that she was literally inflamed with envy. Having the love of her life wasn't enough for her. So in verse 30, 30, and you can see her petulance here when she says, Give me children or I will die. Can't you just hear hear the, the rage, the spoiled rottenness that's there? I think about... Veruca Salt and Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. I want a pony, Father. I want it now. Well, Rachel wanted a child so badly, she sends in her maidservant, Billa, to Jacob in order to have children for her. Now, we have to remember, and we saw this same thing in the situation with Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, that a woman's worth... Their social, her social standing was very much tied to how many children or did she have any children whatsoever. Standing was determined in that way. That's where a woman's worth was seen to be primarily. And so she sends in her maidservant, Billa, and, and, and this reveals something about her heart, doesn't it? You see, for Rachel, she wanted to be first. She wanted preeminence. She wanted it all. And this is why, and think about the Mandrake episode from her perspective, this is why she swaps her marital love for Mandrakes. This is why she literally treats as trash her sacred marital love with Jacob. She's using Billa as a pawn, and her covetousness and jealousy are destroying lives on the altar of her own ambition. See, envy compels us to destroy, to run over, to manipulate, to lie, and to cheat in order to get. And so one of the reasons these stories are so compelling is that are they not such a mirror for us to our own hearts and lives? Ironically, she says here in the text, look back, Rachel says, with great wrestlings, I have finally conquered my sister after Billa conceived children. But here is the irony of the story, or one of the many ironies. Rachel, who desperately wanted these mandrakes, used them but didn't get pregnant herself. Leah, who didn't use them, did get pregnant. And it's it's a vivid illustration for folks that that's what idols always do. They always disappoint They make lousy companions. They take and they take and they take as we give, as we give, as we give. But in the end, they're always a bitter disappointment because we are trying to make them do something for us they were never intended to do. And that's what we see in this portrait of Rachel. Let's look now at Jacob, the helplessness of Jacob. Now, by this point, you had to know Jacob had to be singing that old eagle song, are you going to stay with the one who loves you or are you going back to the one you love? I mean, he's 
being pulled in all different directions by four different women. And what I think Moses is doing here is that he's giving us a portrait of Jacob's passivity. He's giving us a picture of Jacob's helplessness. Now, going back to the beginning of our our text, when it says that Leah was hated, what that literally means is that she was rejected. And we have the idea that, that Jacob, not so much that he hated with enmity and scorn Leah, but he just ignored her. He just neglected her. She was left by the wayside, sort of by default. You see, while, while in this picture, while, while Jacob is portrayed as, as someone who is very potent sexually, he is completely impotent spiritually. Notice that he, he barely speaks a word in this whole passage. Life just kind of happens around him. He's sort of ordered from one bed to another by these women. And what we're going to see as the story of Jacob and Israel unfold is that by his passivity, Jacob has at least a destructive force of tribalism that not only tears his family apart, it also seeds the, the roots of what's going to happen later in the 12 tribes of Israel and all of their tension and conflict with one another. But the idea here is that he is this man who is powerless to stop what he's unleashed. Like Duncan says that Jacob is finally in a place that he cannot escape his situation, even with deception. See, up to this point, Jacob um, is a wheeler dealer. He can talk his way out of anything. But here, the idea is that he says so little because there's nothing he can do. He has to absorb the full consequences of what he has done. And once again, I have to ask, can we not see some of ourselves in that portrait, right? Some of us might be wrestling with things right now that because of our passivity or neglect or, or even ignorance have sort of been unleashed in our lives and we just feel hopeless, powerless to intervene. So let me ask you this question, Four Oaks. Which of these portraits resonate particularly for you? Is it Leah's emptiness? The love that she wants that is elusive, that thing that you've chased and chased and chased, but you just never can seem to get your arms around it. Maybe you identify with Rachel and her envy of someone who's never satisfied. It always has to be one more thing. You're you're coveting. You've got so much, but you're coveting what you don't have. You're never thankful for what you do. Or maybe it's Jacob. Things just seem to be happening around you, spiraling out of control, powerless to stop. The question has to be, where do we go from here? See, now this is the place where we have to say, Four Oaks, if it is now up to us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, it is now up to us to dig ourselves out of this situation, then we are in big trouble. See, I think what Moses wants us to see in this text is how he is pointing each person through their brokenness to see their need for God 
and his grace. And I believe that's one of the things that God wants us to see as we are identifying ourselves in the text. We have to go somewhere with that brokenness. We have to go somewhere with that despair. And and if that's landing on you this morning, if that's what you're feeling, then God is priming your heart for you to receive the grace, his grace through his son, Jesus. So let's look at these these pointers towards grace that we see in this text. First, let's look at God's grace to Jacob. Now, he doesn't say much in this passage, but the one thing he does say that I think is actually pretty profound is when he retorts back to Rachel when she blames him for her not being able to get pregnant. He says to her, who has made me God? See, this might be one of the best things Jacob said to this point in his life, right? In other words, I'm not in control of this. I can't manipulate my way out of this one. I can't deceive my way out of this one. And here we are finally, are we not, getting to the ground floor of Jacob's heart. You know, if this is, if this is you this morning, there's a lot that you can learn from Jacob here about what it means to simply humble yourself, to simply confess God, I've got no tricks left up my sleeve. I've got, I I can't manipulate, I can't control. Um, I'm going to repent of trying to be God. And as we're going to see in this, as God's bringing Jacob to his very lowest, is that God is preparing to do a formative work in the heart of Jacob, where where he is going to rename him Israel where he is going to be the father to a great nation. Oh, yes, there's going to be consequences, yes, for the rest of his life. But God says, I'm going to do something through you, for you, in you, Jacob, that you're powerless to do for yourselves. And for all of us, that begins in the place of saying, who has made me God? It's a rhetorical answer. It's a rhetorical question, right? No one. I'm not a control God. I don't have anything. I'm bringing nothing to you. All I can do is fall upon your mercy and grace. Second, look at God's grace to Rachel. See, God remembers Rachel. And it says here at the end of this passage that she too finally um, becomes pregnant. Now, what's amazing is that this is completely unasked for. See, we never see a time in this passage where Rachel prays, where Rachel calls out to the Lord. And you may say, well, Pastor Paul, then then her getting pregnant, that's just completely unfair. That's completely undeserved. And to which I would say, that's the point, right? That's the point. Even when Rachel is broken and has tried everything in her bag of tricks to become pregnant to equal her sister finally it is by the sheer grace of god and she says god has taken away my disgrace here's why that's important all the other times that rachel uses the word god in this text it's elohim it's it's this idea of the transcendent 
powerful God above me. But here, she uses the covenantal name for God, Yahweh, the personal name. She says, Yahweh, or my God, has taken away my disgrace. See, what God is doing in her, I believe, is, she is he is beginning to create faith. And it says that she named her son Joseph. Now, I want you to think about why, what this is going to be like if you're an Israelite reading this text or hearing this text read for the first time. See, if you're an Israelite and, and this is 400 years later, you, you may or may not have known all of these different characters. Probably didn't know all of them. But the one person you knew about, about above a shadow of a doubt was who? Joseph, right? Because it was Joseph that had ruled Egypt. It was Joseph that had saved his family. And that story about Joseph was, would have undoubtedly been passed down over and over and over from generation to generation. Joseph was our savior. Joseph was the one who, who God raised up. In fact, they had carried Joseph's bone out, bones out of Egypt up into the promised land. And then they would remember, you know, despite Rachel's unfaithfulness, despite her bitterness and her envy, here God is working through her sin, even her sin, to raise up salvation for his people. You know, through Jesus Christ, church, God does the absolute same thing for us. And when we, we understand that, when we understand that God is working for our good, that he's bringing us grace in the midst of the brokenness, we learn to be content. We learn not to envy. We learn not to covet. We learn to be satisfied with the Lord and him only. Lastly, let's look at God's grace to Leah. You have to have a special place in your heart for Leah, don't you? She is, she's had her sin, but she's been the completely misunderstood, emotionally scorned, rejected wife. But look at the text. It says that when God saw that Leah was rejected, it says that he remembered her. Now, when we hear that kind of language applied to God, it doesn't, doesn't mean that God had somehow forgotten her. Then it occurred to him one day, oh, I forgot about Leah. Let me, let me do something for her. It's not talking about cognitive recall. When God remembers someone in the Bible, it means that he is compelled to action. He is compelled to work. He is compelled to move. He is compelled to pour out grace. And it says that he opened Leah's womb. He had pity on her. He had mercy upon her. And isn't it interesting, Leah, and just imagine the kind of life she lived she was complicit, yes, but undoubtedly coerced by her father to do this switcheroo. She was desperate, desperate for her husband's love. What's interesting is that, do you know, realize that she has more children than all the other women combined? Seven. Do you know that the two most important lines of Israel came through Leah. First, there's the line of Levi. Remember, it's Levi that's the priestly line. Remember, Aaron and Moses were from the tribe of Levi, the same Moses who was going to deliver God's people. And then her son Judah, we're going to find out in Genesis 43, 
is an immense source. Judah is a source of blessing and reconciliation. And it's from Judah that Jesus Christ himself is going to be descended. And so how does Leah respond when Judah is born to her? She says, praise the Lord. See, God is beginning to work faith in Leah's heart as well. Let me ask you again, which of these characters resonate? Who do you see for yourself in this text? You see, God has brought them all low to magnify his grace to them. And if you can see yourself this morning in one of these characters, Four Oaks, don't run from that. It is a gift of God. It is a grace of God exposing those things so that you might run to him. Bruce Walke says, Faith is bringing our fears and weaknesses to God and believing that somehow God will transform our pain into a moment of grace. The reason that we can read the gospel on every page of scripture, every page of Genesis, the reason we can talk this way is that it is because through the line of Judah, this fourth son of Leah, forgotten Leah, broken Leah, comes our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's because he came and lived and died and rose and ascended. It's because he, he laid his life down. He was broken for, for us. He emptied himself for us. He gave up everything for us. He, he made himself helpless for us. All of these things that Leah and Rachel and Jacob were, Jesus became so that we might have forgiveness of sin, so that we might have restoration to God through his son, Jesus Christ. The gospel is all over the pages of Scripture, church. So we want to breathe in the gospel, marinate in the gospel, and trust that through the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, God has not forsaken his people. He's taken a mess a a cauldron of dysfunction that we see in this chapter. And he says, you know, even that is not going to thwart me. Even that is not going to prevent me from showing my mercy and grace. In fact, it's going to be the very thing that I use to draw my people to myself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, This is your word, and sometimes we feel like Scripture is probably just a little too real. It's a little too honest. It's a little too transparent. It's a a little too open. It exposes us. And Lord, if that's our experience this morning, then you are priming our hearts to receive the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. So Lord, now we... Pray that you would bring these things to our remembrance this week, Lord, so that we would trust not in ourselves, but in you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.
the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that
just a few things before um, I give us a benediction and send us along our way into this day. Um, We are going to be celebrating Good Friday together, virtually, um, this coming Friday, of course, at 5 p.m. And a lot of you have asked about communion. How do we celebrate communion? How are we to think about communion? And I wrote a little something. We sent it out this week. Um, So reference that, but let me just say this, that part of the inability to get together and to share the Lord's Supper together, it should create a longing in us. It should create a a, a desperate sense of of God, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And so so communion by definition is communal. It's to be shared together as the gathered body of Christ. And so we've really been seeking to protect the uniqueness of that. But we also recognize the times that we're in, and who knows how long we're going to be doing this. And so um, the elders and pastors feel it is uh, very appropriate for us, within the confines and privacy of your own homes, to ask you to secure your own communion elements, um, whatever approximates the closest that you can to bread or juice and wine. Um, uh, we don't, don't endanger yourself by going out in public if, if, if you don't want to do that, but... but do your best, and when we come together here on Friday, it's going to be an intimate time. It's going to be a time where, um, as we're celebrating virtually communion together, God gives us a yearning in our hearts to commune with him and with one another one day, face-to-face. Also this week, remember, every day, um, Monday through Saturday, I do a devotional um, through Facebook Live, with live stream, where we are walking through the book of Acts together, 8 a.m., you can join us. And then Pastor Scott this week, during our, our noon prayer times, our daily prayers, will be walking through the life and the story of Jesus during Passion Week. And so um, please note that, please note the devotional that our children's ministry is making available to you families, and you can download that at our website. But as we go from this place, let me give us this benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great Lord's Day.